0: Thank you for joining us this week on the Penn State at Football Podcast. This is co-host number one, Donnie Collins. Co-host number two, Sam Freeman, coming live from somewhere around Wilkes-Barre, I guess. It, it's amazing how fast things change, because I think when we did the podcast last week, Stacy Collins was still the special teams coordinator, and we <laughs> didn't even consider that he wouldn't be in a week. And yet, Stacy Collins becomes the third Penn State assistant coach slash coordinator to leave this offseason. James has had to replace... Every coordinator, I don't, I don't remember that ever happening, uh, in my, sweep. yeah, I, I, I guess the, the 2012 year, I it would would count, but where you're talking about the head coach stays and every coordinator is gone, it, it, it's it's strange. I, it's it, is is that say anything or is it is it just something that that happens? I mean, you you look at it. James fired one guy, Manny Diaz left. Stacy Collins went back, I guess back home, uh, kind of to Boise, which is. Where he came from, so I, I don't, I don't know if this really says anything other than it's just one of those years where, where where all of this just happened to happen at one point. But I guess you could have a discussion about whether this says anything about the the program or, or James Franklin or whatever. But I, I personally don't think it does.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said it best. It's it's all three coordinators left for effectively different reasons. I mean, Yursich gets fired. Diaz takes a, a vertical move, taking a head coaching job, which, you know, if you want to be a head coach, being a defensive coordinator is not going to do it. You have yeah. to go take that head coaching job. And then with, with Stacy Collins, I mean, it was a lateral move, but he's been a guy that, you know, has spent his whole career sort of in the Pacific Northwest. So, I mean, I remember when he came over initially, but to, to Penn State and it kind of felt a little bit out of nowhere. I mean, just, just because all of his experience was in Washington and Oregon and Idaho and Utah and and everywhere like that. You know, I I wonder why now is the time he wanted to go back home essentially because he's replacing his successor, (laughs) but for whatever reason, I mean, sometimes you just want
0: to go home, I guess. You only have one hometown is the old saying. And if if I'm remembering this right, when he came in, it was one of those deals where Joe Laurie had left his his predecessor as special teams coordinator at Penn State, I think there was a a connection there with Laurie and Stacy Collins, where Laurie I think was trying to do Penn State a favor and and suggest, hey, this is a this is a guy you might want to consider and 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 in defense of everybody here, it was a it was a good move. I mean, I think Stacy yeah. Collins is a really good special teams coordinator. Two years ago, he brings in Bar, you know Barney Amore as the punter, and nobody knows what Barney Amore is going to be. Turns out he's a really Really steady hand at that at that job. So I I think I think they're happy with what he did, turned Jake Pinniger around as a as a kicker. Pinniger's last season was his best and was his first under Stacey Collins. Then this year he gets kind of a tough job just with the specialists, where he's gotta to try to break in sahadak and work Alex Falcons in somehow because they get him off the transfer portal scrap heap. And he comes in and has a really great season. And 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 as did uh as as the season went on, Riley Thompson, the punter. But the other side of the coin is, in Stacey's two years, they really returned the ball very well. I mean, Nick Singleton had had a couple of long returns, had a touchdown against Rutgers in 2022. And then this year, once they got Daquan Hardy back there, that was a a big difference maker for them in, in the punt return game. So I think if you look at it on the whole, Stacey Collins did a really good job. And their coverage units have been have been phenomenal, and you know he, he turned Dominic DeLuca into a a star. I would get you know in some circles he's a, a cult hero at the very least. So I, I think Stacy Collins did a did a good job, and 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 the and the guy they're bringing in has a, has a much longer track record with this than than Stacy Collins. Justin Lustig out of Vanderbilt, he's got he's got a long career. I, I think every year but one since 2004, he's been a special teams coordinator somewhere. Be it Syracuse, where he really made his name vanderbilt I, I think he was at ball state somewhere like that the one year he wasn't a special teams coordinator somewhere in in, in division one or division two he was a, a division two head coach at edinburgh and they he took a team that was winless in 2015 and won nine games in the division two coach of the year award in, in 2016 so this guy is a he's a home run hire and i th- I think he almost had to be to pass over some of the guys they had in-house for this. Uh, what, what are your initial thoughts on on Lustig? I I, I think the, this is the kind of track record. He's got the kind of analytics, metrics, whatever you want to look at that w- would lead you to believe they, they took a a positive step here in, in, in replacing Stacey Collins. Well, my
1: my first thought when I saw the news break is uh, his last name is spelled the same way as the German word for funny. It's pronounced Lustig. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll file that away in case there's anything funny that happens this year, <laughs> I guess. But other than that, I I, I think it's a I I think like you said, I think it's a good hire. I mean, you know, a Broils a award nominee, you know, like you said, there there are some in-house candidates that probably make a strong case for this job. And anytime that you you pass over guys in-house, you know, you're risking rocking the boat a little bit. You're risking making some people unhappy or making them you know, somewhat uh, dissatisfied with their place. So for, for James to make an outside hire, you know, that means that he clearly thinks that this is, this is the right move. And we, we've talked about this at, at the offensive level, at the defensive level, now at the special teams level a little bit. James is, is well, there, there's been a, a little bit of a mixed history with the offensive coordinator position, but the defensive coordinator position has hit strongly. You know James's picks have been have been good, and and the special teams coordinator position has kind of been the same way. I I I understand the hesitancy about Kotelny just because of people's underwhelming uh, reactions to Penn State's offense in recent years, but the special teams has been a, a a pretty good unit for them. I mean, as you said, the the kicking unit's been inconsistent at times, but that's that's almost been a more Dare I say a recent development? Um, you know, I, I know the the Stout and Pinneger connection wasn't always gorgeous, but it, it, there are certainly worse worse units in the country. And and I, I I don't know. I think that that Lustig comes with a or Lustig rather. How do you pronounce it?
0: I'm not sure. I actually, while you were saying that, looked it up to see if they had sent a pronunciation guide with it, and they did not. So I'm going with I'm going with Lustig, but I did not know the German pronunciation. I that's one of the European languages I don't have in my repertoire. I actually minored in German, so it's perfect. Oh
1: yeah, my girlfriend's going to be so mad at me that I'm talking about German on the podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, the the new special teams coordinator is. Uh, I, I I think that he. He, he's he's a good fit, from what I can tell. I mean, surely maybe maybe in a year I'll I'll look back and and say what an idiot idiot I was. But it, there's nothing to indicate that this is a this is a bad hire.
0: I thought there would be a chance that they would just promote Danny O'Brien here and, and and use that spot on the on the roster to promote O'Brien because he could do everything right now that a quarterbacks coach does except recruit, and and I think you want that guy recruiting, but. It, you, you look back at the history of, of Franklin, number one, at, at Penn State, and he's always had a special teams coordinator. And they've always been pretty good, except for the one year under Phil Galliano, they weren't that good. Then they bring in Lori. My gut feeling on special teams coordinators is you, you should have one, especially if you're going to have 10 assistant coaches. One of them should be devoted <laughs> to special teams on the field. I, I think they're that. If you're going to talk about three phases of the game, you have to have someone running on the field. One of those three phases of the game. You can't just have an analyst do it, and you know it's good for Georgia and good for Auburn and Florida not having one on the field. But yeah, I, I think you're better off doing it. But I, I don't know if if the typical fan sees the, and I don't know if I see it either. In defense of the typical fan, but I, I don't know if you see every week the benefits of having a guy who knows special teams inside and out. But you can't argue what Stacey Collins did. You can't argue that he found a kicker where there wasn't one. You can't argue that he turned Barney Amore into a, a potential all Big Ten kicker and or a punter, excuse me. And I, I think it took some courage at midseason to go to Daquan Hardy and, and switch up something that was was working in a sense in the punt return game last year where you weren't turning the ball over and Caden Saunders is making good decisions. And I don't think he's incapable of being a good punt returner. I think he might be the punt returner this year. So if you're if you're looking at blue stick or lustig or whatever, however we're going to pronounce <laughs> this today on the American version of the Penn State football <laughs> podcast, does he bring you that extra level of of player to to Happy Valley? And 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 I think the answer is probably you hope so. Where in the sense that the one thing that Penn State hasn't done well, they have not brought in punters and kickers out of high schools on scholarship in recent years that have been effective i think Pinnegar was actually the last one and that's a long time ago now Sahadak has been up and down probably more down than up alex paquetta transferred and everybody talked about alex paquetta like he was the next blake gilligan probably because he went to the same high school as blake gilligan but it 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 you know, it's it's a little different than being Blake Gilligan. You have to come in and actually do the job. <laughs> but he was the number one punting prospect in the country the year he came in, and he he actually had a, a the worst blue white game I've ever seen last year. They have not recruited that position well, and and Lustig has a, a Ray Guy finalist. He had his you know if it wasn't for Torrey Taylor from Iowa, his guy probably wins it last year at Vanderbilt, and he's had a, a Lou Groza winner at Syracuse, uh, Andre Schmidt. So, I, I think that he might be a guy who can develop these younger players into in, into something bigger. Not that Stacey Collins couldn't, but he wasn't around long enough to do that.
1: I, I wonder how much of of the the regional aspect will, will impact his 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 ability to uh, recruit and everything. Just coming from Vanderbilt, um, you know, I, I I don't know if. If if moving from Vanderbilt to to Penn State, yeah, I, I'm assuming it increases your drawing power as a recruiter. So I don't know if he can you know, build on some of his previous connections and relationships down there. Or maybe bring bring somebody up. Who knows? Man, you bring up the and and what a, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to ra- rail on the guy, but you know what what a disappointing turnout that was at the at the punting position. Just. You know, like you said, the number one punter in the country, he was sort of anointed. I, I still remember when they put him in in the Rutgers game, to, it, it, when they benched Barney for a little bit. And then yeah, Beketta yeah. sort of shanked the punt and put mm-hmm. Barney back in. You know, the writing was kind of on the wall already at that point. But yeah. I know it's a little bit
0: off topic. But yeah, he was he was a four star punter, I think. And I but, but I think you you mentioned coming to, to Penn State. And this is a little different with with Lustig. He's not a North a Pacific Northwest guy. He's a Pennsylvania yeah. guy. So it it is kind of a a homecoming for him. He's been at Syracuse, so, and and that's kind of the same recruiting footprint. And you know, it's, and if it wasn't before, Syracuse is going to make it one because Fran Brown is a he's he's a monster on the recruiting trail, and he's already all over the place. They're their new head coach, but you know, he's from Erie, coached at Edinburgh as as I said, and 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 that was in 2016, I think. So he's got ties to to Pennsylvania. He's at the very least a guy who could stick around a little bit. And yeah. and this is probably more of a destination for him than Vanderbilt or or Syracuse was, or it's definitely more of a destination than it ever was for Lorig and 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 Stacy. Here's another aspect of this that I, that I think is is interesting. Stacy Collins coached outside linebackers, and Lustig, Lustig, whatever. I, I will we'll figure this out at at the break. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll make sure but he hasn't coached on defense since the division three level. And that was like 19 years ago he, when he was at, when he was at Christopher Newport, which is I did not think they had a football team at Christopher Newport. I've heard of them in basketball, but I, I didn't, I did not think they had a, a football program. I, I think he was their defensive backs coach. Well, he comes in now. And, and when Penn state made the announcement on, on Wednesday that, that he was the, the new special teams coordinator, they also added that he's coaching the outside linebackers and nickels. I don't want to say he's not what he does. It's not what he's done. Well, at, at Syracuse, he coached receivers. He's coached running backs in the past. He's coached tight ends last couple of years. But, you know, he's not going to come in and take j Sider's job or Ty Howell's job. Marcus Hagan's probably not. So, you know, you have a guy now who's got to fill a role on the staff because nobody just does one job except for Nikki, But he's kind of working with the quarterbacks too. And Lorig and Stacey Collins both worked – with outside linebackers, and now Lustig will, too. And it's interesting because he hasn't worked with them. And I I think you could look at it two ways. It's not an experienced guy working in that position. And the last time James Franklin was in this spot where he had a, a guy not experienced at a position working there, it was David Corley with the receivers, uh, a, a bunch of years ago now, it, it, they brought Corley into work with the running backs and then they got J1 cider that same offseason. So they had to find a job for Corley and he ends up working with the receivers and it wasn't a great fit because he's more of a running backs guy. So now you have a, a, a kind of the same situation where you have a receivers coach or a tight ends coach or whatever you want to look at what he's done in the in the recent past working with outside linebackers. Now, here's my question for you, Sam, and it's the same one as before. Does that matter in the least? Or is it that if you can coach, you can coach? And I tend to believe if you can coach, you can coach. You could coach anywhere. Ty Howell wasn't a tight end. Ty Howell was a center. You know, J1 Sider wasn't a running back. He was a quarterback. But it's, it's still on the same side of the ball. Is this a, a different kind of scenario with a guy going from where his focus has been on offense for the last decade and a half? Or is it coaches could coach?
1: So I, I think it's more the latter. I think if if you're a coach, you can coach, right? But I'll give you a reason. It could even be a positive. So I I, I don't think it's a negative because, like you said, if you can coach, you can coach. And if 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 Lustig can't coach, then you know that'll that'll be abundantly clear, regardless of what position group he's in charge of. I, I I'm not insinuating that's the case. I I just mean, you know, they they brought him in for a reason. I suspect that he'll be able to coach at at, at a at an acceptable level. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten the job. They at least have that that faith in him. And when when they hired Tom Allen, they announced him as as a as a linebacker's coach as well. So it's not like the, the whole responsibility is gonna fall on on Lustig. However, I wonder if this is something of an insurance policy for James. I feel like we we spend a lot of time talking about when Yursich got fired, and certainly after the offense started playing well towards the end of the regular season with uh the mixture of Howell and Cider. And and there's always there's always talk about Sider potentially trying to, I I know Sider sort of, you know, dispelled the rumors of him interested in, in head coaching jobs elsewhere, but that's always, I feel like surrounded him a little bit. And then Howell, who knows? I mean, as a, as a strong tight ends coach with a, with a track record of getting guys into the NFL, who knows if, if somebody will try to poach him as an offensive coordinator. So I wonder if this is something of a, of an insurance policy for James after taking a, a clean sweep of, of coordinators this year, I wonder if this is okay. You know, we feel comfortable with him assisting Allen and coaching the linebackers, but you know, if, if Howell or or Cider takes an unexpected move, we have a guy that we can bump up at least in the interim, if not, you know, move some stuff around permanently. Let's say how leaves next off season, just hypothetical possibilities. You know, you can, you can move Lustig up to the tight end coach and, and hire somebody out to be the outside linebacker coach and, and, and move some responsibilities around. I, I wonder if this, this makes James feel a little more, more flexible, a little more comfortable just with the amount of turnover that they've faced this year. If they don't like what Hagens does next year, perhaps they can move Lustig up there. Uh, it doesn't have to be a, a departure thing. It could be even a, a firing for performance thing. Who knows? And and also, special teams units are made up of guys on the offensive and defensive side. So, you know, I, I'm sure he's got experience with with the linebackers outside of the <laughs> the Christopher Newport things, even if not in in writing. So I yeah, I don't think it's a huge deal on it. At, Best case scenario, it also allows james to
0: to move some pieces around if he needs to. you stole my thunder a little bit there because you said there's positives <laughs> to it. And I actually I think it's better to not to, to coach a position you didn't play uh, because you should be able to do that, 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 that I think that's important and in, look the a big trend in the NFL now is special teams coaches being head coaches because they work with players on both sides of the ball as you said with with offensive and defensive players both playing special teams you you have to kind of be in tune with what the kickers are doing uh it, it gives you a, a much different perspective than than the defensive coordinator or somebody who's always coached defense or someone who's always coached offense has so i think it's actually a, a much better uh scenario for penn state to have somebody coaching linebackers or coaching anywhere who who didn't play the position or coach the position or, or, or before or whatever and you look around you know the more you think about it I mentioned Sider mentioned Marcus Hagens, mentioned Howell Deion Barnes played def- defensive line that's a big part of of what's making him a good defensive line coach all those guys say it, you know he's been there he's done what we've done but the same guys at cornerback rave about Terry Smith Terry Smith didn't play cornerback Terry Smith was a receiver but to be a good receiver you have to know cornerback play it, it helps. And he, he's he been a, a, a very, very good cornerbacks coach for a very, very long time who, if he hit the open market tomorrow, would be a candidate for a job at Ohio State or Michigan or any any of those kind of places because of what he can do. He's kind of become the new Larry Johnson. Lustig coming in, doing that job. It's 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 not a big deal at all. I I think he'll he'll do a good job with it. And, and I think it gives them a, a different perspective at the outside linebackers coach je- position because now you're including the nickels in there. And it, it's a very different thing playing nickel than playing cornerback. You should have a guy coaching nickels because maybe two out of three downs, usually you're going to be playing your nickel linebacker. But nickel corner, whatever you want to call him, nickel safety out there instead of uh, of your your regular linebacker. Which you know, basically last year you're taking a guy like Kobe King and and putting in a a guy like Hardy or extra safety Keaton Ellis and those guys. That's a very diverse skill set that that position has. You're a safety like Ellis. You're a cornerback by trade like Hardy, or you're you're the starting outside linebacker like the Curtis Jacobs. That they all come from different aspects and, and, and they all are, are coached by the same guy and they're all doing different jobs uh, depending on the down and distance. So I, so I think it actually helps. And in that area, he does have a lot of experience. He he has coached offensive backs before. So he's, he, I, I think Lustig is a actually a, a really sneaky good fit in, in that Stacey Collins role within a, a five day span in January when everybody else is, you know, <laughs> there's usually not a coaching carousel going on in January, even though there, there, there is one one right now uh, Sam the one the other thing I wanted to talk about here as we close down the, the first segment here really quickly and I hate to talk about this because I know what the the media business is now it's clicks it's put something online get someone to click on it sponsors love it uh it, it get people to engage with your site whatever but I, but I'm old school I'm different and this morning read a, an email that said uh Keandre Lambert Smith the, the Penn State receiver Turns down NFL draft is uh, coming back to Penn State in 2024, and I thought, oh, I must have missed an announcement from Keandre that he's that he's coming back. And the we'll talk about the announcements too because I think they're ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous <laughs> to make an announcement unless you're going. But turned out Keandre didn't make an announcement. He just kind of tweeted about the NIL collective <laughs> that that he's he's working with, and people took that as a sign that he's coming back, which. To be honest with you, everybody knew Keandre was coming back. I mean, the, the deadline had passed for the NFL draft, so he was coming back anyway <laughs> by definition, but he was also never not coming back. This was something that had been talked about for weeks, and, and they expected Keandre back as part of the reason they didn't think it was a, a, a big deal to not get a second receiver out of the portal quite yet. They're going to give it the spring and, and see where, to, where you go. So to, to quote the great purd Happley, my question is a comment. Why do we think, that a guy with a year of eligibility left in college football these days has to make an announcement one way or the other, whether he's coming back. James has talked about this at press conferences, kind of ser- half serious. You know, you guys are asking these guys all the time for their decisions. If they don't make a decision, they're, they're coming back, right? And, and I, I kind of agree with that. It's not, it's not news. And DeAndre coming back with a year of eligibility left is no more news than Dom DeLuca coming back because Dom DeLuca could go to the NFL right now, too. So yeah. why what's different? Well, you know, I I I get it if of a guy like Devon Elise, where he can come back for the sixth year. I get the sixth year thing where it, it might be more attractive to give the, the NFL a shot, you've graduated, whatever. But I don't understand the desire to make the players say it when there isn't a need to. And and Keandre didn't say it, didn't even say it. We just kind of made up the rule here. I'm not thrilled with this. And and that's just me being an old curmudgeon. I know that, but you're a younger guy, and and you are more from the <laughs> the generation that that grew up with this and and grew up with the internet. What am I not seeing here? What are you? A, do you, as a, a younger person, expect the the announcement? Is is that just something we've we've come to to have to have in, in this day and age?
1: I, I mean, to some degree, it's there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation going on where at this point i expect an announcement just because that's that's sort of been the expectation that's that's been created it's not when i say that i expect an announcement that doesn't mean i personally require an announcement to know what's going on however it 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 has become somewhat surprising when somebody who has nfl buzz doesn't make an announcement one way or another now i i'm with you if unless you're you know, when Olu made the announcement that he was coming back the past offseason. That that makes a lot of sense why you would announce that, because you know, everybody was expecting Olu to leave as a top five pick, you know, a top ten pick, whatever it may be. This is this is no knock on, on Keandre, but I, I don't know what tangible NFL buzz he has right now. I mean, I I would think that he he might get a late-round flyer taken on him, but he has so much more to gain from coming back that I I don't know who was thinking that Keandre was passing up some big opportunity by by staying next year. Uh, if anything, him leaving I think is passing up a big opportunity. But you know that's that's maybe a different conversation. I, I don't know. I, I'm with you where maybe it's just the way that that I was taught in school and everything w- in in terms of journalism. If unless you have done the legwork to confirm with a a direct source, I I don't see why. You know, you you would jump to conclusions necessarily, like you said. People go for clicks, and people go for this. People go for that. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the inferences unless you identify that as an inference. You know, I see this, so I assume this. That's that's fine. But and with all this being said, like, DeAndre is coming back. It's yeah, it's 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 that's fine. Uh, but I, that that tweet that he put out was was pretty innocuous i mean it was it was the first back yeah. to work thanks for supporting me through nil yeah um it was a plea for money uh, more than anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I'm, there's by all means go get that bag if, if people are gonna send you money do it for for sure Um. Uh, but i i don't know i i i just i guess we're getting in the dead period like you said i mean we we have a coaching carousel but you don't expect that in January. I guess Keandre was was a big topic of discussion at the end of the year as the number one receiver in a struggling receiver group, um, especially with 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 the bad old miss loss at the end of the season. But I yeah, I'm with you. I I don't I mean Keaton Ellis announced that he was going to the NFL draft because he's out of eligibility yeah. and mm-hmm. I mean by all means, the, these are these are well, I guess they're my contemporaries. I was going to say these are kids, but they're they're <laughs> the your same age, age yeah. as me, not yeah. older. Uh, but you know, by all means, everybody deserves their their moment. If Keaton Ellis wants to put out a statement as a goodbye to wrap up, you know, he wants the, that's fine. I, I have no I have no problem on a personal level with Keaton Ellis doing that. But at the same time, I I reserve the right to read that statement and think it's a little bit silly that you know you're announcing I have no more eligibility, so I will be not returning next year and and heading into the NFL draft. Like I don't know, it's. And that's what, that's where I say at this point, I expect it because we got guys declaring for the draft that can't come back.
0: But listen, Keandre, if you don't want to put anything out, it doesn't bother me. I have no qualms with how Keandre didn't handle that situation, but honestly, Dom DeLuca did the same thing. He said nothing. And and, yeah. and it's, 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 it's as ridiculous as, you know, a scenario is, as, as you can get now, no, the Keaton Ellis thing, I read that. I saw that. It was sent to me. Somebody sent that to me, and I and I thought, "That's, what's he doing?" And then I read it, and it was like kind of more <laughs> like a thank you or a goodbye, or you know, really appreciated my time there. I'm going to the NFL. I can't. I can't come back. <laughs> you know? But you know, it, but that, that you know, if you can't come back, it's basically saying, you know, hell with it. If, if someone will take me in the NFL, I'm going to go, I'm going to go play in the NFL, but that's what everybody does. That's what the draft is. <laughs> that, that's what, yeah, that's what being a 22 year old who played four or five years or whatever it is of college football does. And it, and that's what they've done forever. But I, I think this has kind of just become, and, I, and I'm afraid of this. Uh, I think it's kind of just become the hat thing from the commitment ceremony. Yeah. Where, where uh,
1: that's a great point. But
0: yeah. Where, where, you know, you, you feel you're doing it because you feel like you have to, because everybody else is doing it. And, and, I, and I'm only gonna say this because I know my son does not listen to the podcast, he has much better things to do. But but when he when he quote unquote declared his intention for, for high for college when he was a senior, it was about this time, yeah, maybe last April, he, he did the hat thing. He, he had the two hats of this. <laughs> <skin. laughs> and I didn't and I didn't get the sense he was doing it ironically. I get the sense that he did it because he thought that's what kids do. And and I was just sitting there laughing and he picked the school I wanted him to pick. So that was all, all well and good. I didn't care how he did it, but you know, he had, he had the hat sitting out there on the kitchen counter. That's I think kids today, Sam, we'll be back in a, in a couple of minutes for segment number two. We'll get some pronunciations, right? We'll get, we'll we'll fix some of the facts we got wrong here in the, in the first segment. We'll talk about Drew Aller, I think a little bit. We're back for the second segment of the Penn State football podcast, and, and somebody last week actually asked, "Why do you take the break in between? Why do you do? Why do you play that that silly music in between the the two segments? What what benefit is it?" And there there was a benefit to it at, at one point. There was a you know back when I, had, I I thought that you know they might actually sell ad space on here that uh that they. We could put the ad there, and it would be an easy way to do that. But now, now it's 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 clearly just so we can look up some some stuff that we talked about in the first segment and and <laughs> don't know the answers to, and now we know the answers. So one of them is it is Justin Lustig. Lustig. Your, German, your okay. German let you down on this one. Americanization <laughs> the the last name is is Lustig, so it's Justin Lustig. But also, your contemporary Keaton Ellis is older than you is he really he's older than you yeah if the information i looked up is correct so so yeah there's a (laughs) it it, it is interesting how some of these guys are in school forever and you know you you show up as a freshman on campus and you graduate and that guy is still there and i I think i believe keaton ellis was on campus before you were there
1: yeah you you would know
0: better okay so yeah and he's there after you're gone (laughs) so yeah so sam has still has some contemporaries on the on the Penn state football team. Uh, speaking of guy, you know, speaking of that, we have some guys who have no contemporaries. And I, I think, you know, we, we, did the the day we did the podcast last week, turned out to be a, an awful day to do the podcast because college football changed and professional football changed. Bill Belichick retired or didn't retire. I guess. <laughs> that's, that's the wrong thing to say. Nick Saban retired from Alabama and Bill Belichick was parted ways with by the, by the Patriots and Pete Carroll uh, with, with the Seahawks. So you, know, you have three of the greatest coaches of all time, arguably, it, it, or they're in the discussion, at least, you know, in, in some circles, either on the open market or finished coaching and, and finished coaching and Saban's, well, we'll focus this on Saban because it's a, it's a college football podcast, obviously. But, you know, Nick Saban, yeah, his career at Alabama over as, as the head coach, they bring in Kalen DeBoer from Washington and the transfer portal opens up and everybody at Alabama is seemingly gone you know now Kalen DeBoer has to rebuild the Alabama roster has to kind of do what he is was set out to do at Washington but now he gets to do it at at Alabama with all their resources and, and you get to see what kind of recruiter this guy this guy is going to be but you know Washington now has to replace their head coach and they bring in uh, you know they bring in the Arizona head coach. Arizona has to replace their head coach. They bring in the San Jose State coach, Jim Harbaugh leaves. Michigan's going to have to re- replace its head coach. You know, when and if that happens, and then it's going to be another big job opening up. And the transfer portal keeps opening up and opening up. And I, I, I guess, I have two questions on this one. Number one, is, is Alabama's days as the as, as a top four program in the in the country done? Um, I'm not saying it necessarily is, but I think it's now maybe closer than ever to it being, you know, the history where, at, at Alabama, where, where Sabin had that had such a stranglehold on the top five, whether they were in it or not being regarded as one of the top five, top three programs and, and a lot of that tenure, the top program in college football, they're, they're going to lose a significant uh, amount of players to the transfer portal. And Kalen DeBoer's got a tough job there. It, it's not going to be easy because they don't want to hear, they didn't bring him in to to have a couple of years there where he's got to rebuild. They they, they brought him in to, to be one of the top two or three programs in the country next year, preferably the top one program in the country. So it or, or is the Alabama we're going to see next year even going to be remotely similar to the one we've seen over the last 10, 15 years under Nick Saban? My gut feeling is that, that Alabama is going to take a, a couple of steps back here.
1: I, I don't know that that I can be ready to write them off entirely just because I, I do think that the the brand of the program still has value but at the same time it's certainly not a foregone conclusion I mean Kalen DeBoer is going to have to rebuild to some degree at, at the very least rebuild the prestige because it's it's not like the NFL right if the uh, if Andy Reid stepped down tomorrow, somebody would slot in as the head coach of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. That's not the way it works in college. You know, it, it's 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 a lot less of a seamless transition of power. I mean, like you said, there, there's a lot of players that might not even be on that roster anymore this time next year. It's hard for me to say it's a true rebuild given... There there are a number of players out there, I guarantee you, who would still love to go play in Alabama without Nick Saban, just because it's Alabama in comparison of, of where they're at now. What I think is really interesting about this is the vacuum that Saban's departure creates. Because although Bama will suffer at the very least in the short term, if not the long term, with Saban's absence. I don't know that Alabama is the team that suffers the most because of the 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 sort of chain reaction that that opens up behind him. I mean, Kalen DeBoer vacates Washington to go to Bama. And then Arizona's coach vacates Arizona's position to go take Washington's position. You know, it, it's sort of passing the buck down the line. And that's what we've talked about with with college football and and it's not I'm not throwing shade at the coaches because it in any profession, if you can take a a better job for more money, for, you know, more personal meaning or whatever it may be, you know, you shouldn't be punished for, for pursuing that. But, but I do think, you know, it trickles down a little bit. Arizona potentially goes from being the big 12 favorite next year to, they might have a whole new roster. They're certainly gonna have a whole new coaching staff and it's through no fault of their own. That, that coaching staff built a good program. They did exactly what they were supposed to do the players did what they were supposed to do the fans did what they were supposed to do and the reward for it is i guess alabama starts their rebuild a couple steps further up in the process um i you know i, I don't know that there's a fix to that i think that's just sort of the nature of college football but you know that's something that i've been thinking about a lot recently and that's another thing that uh <laughs> to sort of shoehorn this into the conversation i guess but it makes me think a little bit about uh the the Outrage over Penn State's season. You know, you you can really figure out where you are in the country when you start to diagnose where you are in that that order of operations. You know, Penn State is not at the Arizona level where, you know, a, a, an unexpected coaching carousel will gut the team. We, as we've said a thousand times, they may not be at Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, but they're definitely not down there.
0: You don't want to be where the crap is going to land. And it happened to be Arizona this time. Now, and and it you know Nick Saban decides he's done and it crushes Arizona. Why why does and they didn't hire Arizona's coach? So but why does it have to happen that way? And I and I think when you know when when you sit there at a at a press conference for and, and listen for twenty minutes as Lane Kiffin and James Franklin pontificate about the future of college football on a Friday morning as I as I did at the Peach Bowl, this is why you you see the the potential this has to decimate a program that's kind of just. In the line of fire it just happened to have a a, a decent coach and you know and, and jet fish is taking as, as you kind of alluded to taking the whole coaching staff pretty much from arizona to washington and it's really similar to what james franklin did to vanderbilt and vanderbilt's never really recovered you know it, it sidelined vanderbilt for for 10 years they haven't been they haven't been that good in it they've been certainly haven't been as good since as they were in in 2013 it's not good for the college game when every everything is geared toward making alabama as good as it can be and and arizona ha- has to take five steps back for that to happen and 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 i agree it's penn state is not in that position only because the head coach didn't leave and and i tried to write a column about this over the weekend i don't know if i was successful or not i didn't love it but you know but i basically my question was is is the james franklin as part of the coaching carousel talk over for whatever reason. It, you know, it, it used to be a couple of years ago that all these big jobs and, and, and there was nothing this big Alabama never opened, but USC. Yeah. You know, I, I think there was a, when, when, I think there was a Texas thing. What you know, it was James, a candidate Texas. I believe that was the school, but there were some big programs. When they opened, James is a guy who, who got mentioned and he got mentioned in this one. Uh, I think that's some fancy footwork by the agent. I don't think anybody but <laughs> Kalen DePore was getting this job at, at any point ever, but you know, a- Alabama is a team that can hire whoever they want. There's going to be a, a program that opens up at some point that would, would love to have James Franklin. And it's a, ba- it's a matter of does James Franklin want to go to that-, that program? And then if he does, what does it do to Penn State? And uh, one, of, one of the other guys in the beat and I had a, had a really fun conversation the other day about, uh, and this is, is apropos of nothing. It's not even of my point. But <laughs> let's say James had left, taken the, the Washington job, which I didn't think was that far out of the realm of possibility. James had coached in Washington, met his wife in Washington, it, at Washington State, albeit and there was no real tie to Washington. But if Washington went that way and offered enough money, you know, maybe, I, I guess, he, he could have considered it. I didn't think he would. But it, let's say James left. You know what does Penn State do in the middle of January for a head coach? You, you try to you go to Duke and say, "Hey, sorry guys, we have to try." And 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 Manny Diaz leaves another program after about three weeks. I, Is that what you do? I I don't know what the what, what you know, where where you go from there. And 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 I think your the stability of your program right now is as flimsy as ever no matter who your coach is, because you never know where that next opportunity is going to come from. And, and and that's really the point I have to make about the, this whole thing is what's the job that opens up that James Franklin would be number one, a candidate for number two, he'd be interested in. And, you know, let's say the Michigan job opens up, would he be interested in Michigan? Yeah. I mean, it would be Mich- Michigan would be interested in him. I don't know, but I think if the Michigan job opened up and they said, Hey James, you know, do you want to, you want to talk about it? I think he'd talk about it. and And it's not even just that job. It's, you know, they're going to hire somebody unless they promote from within and nobody promotes from within anymore. Michigan might if, if Harbaugh leaves. But it, it, let's say they don't. There's going to be another job open in some other place. And and, and then that's going to open up another job. It's, it's, it's very it's very difficult unless you're the team or the program that hires from within and ends the cycle. And it could go on and on and on and on and on. And you don't know who's going to be hit worse. They now you know with the benefit of hindsight, hey, great job by Alabama. They got the hot name on the market, but it, it devastates Arizona. It just just crushes Arizona. And and I, I think to to think that Penn State is in a better position than Arizona, roster wise, yes. But if they would ever lose the head coach, I I think everybody's in the same same boat, especially at this time of year, especially in mid January. It you know, with the with the portal opening, classes starting, the timing of this is is just brutal. It's a, it's a just a really, really bad system. And, and and every week we find out a new way that it's even worse.
1: I, I saw that, that Ari Wasserman, I think I pronounced his name correctly, not to give us another pronunciation question, but from from the athletic, he was getting he You're was dead. getting ripped on uh, <laughs> on social media because he you know there was a clip on a podcast that was taken out of context and and he had said something along the lines of you know if you're not a fan of a blue blood program kind of what's the point and what he meant by that was sort of the conversation we're having now i mean if you if you're an if you're an arizona fan you know, you, you, you get invested in the program it's built up the uh the coaching staff explicitly says we're here to stay because given the landscape, when they make that comment, they are here to stay. Then all of a sudden, uh, you know, a big job opens up and and, in a different school, their coach fills that. And now, you know, Arizona's sudden implosion to, you know, roster implosion coaching implosion isn't Bama's fault. It's technically Washington's, but Washington was faced with a sudden, a similar situation. And, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of to to use a Penn State example. I mean, obviously, <laughs> a lot of this is uh, is emotionally charged right now, given the the ten and two season and the loss to Ole Miss and everything. But but let's say for the sake of argument, Penn State had had gone and, and made the playoff this year and 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 made the national championship and lost, and all of a sudden, James Franklin is in the conversation for for that Bama job in in a in a realer way than we assume it was. You know, if James takes it, all of a sudden, all this excitement behind Penn State that was from a national championship runner-up has become James leaves, James brings his coordinators, maybe Drew Aller leaves, and all of a sudden the quarterback that gets you to to the the national championship level is gone, and you know, maybe Nick Singleton leaves and all of a sudden, you know, and, and Penn State's perhaps better positioned than in Arizona to to weather that storm. But still, as a fan, you, you, you get invested, you get excited, you've, you've spent all this time building your, your expectations and the disappointments, you overcome it. And finally, you're on the precipice and then everybody leaves and you have to start all over again. And, and if you're in Arizona, you know, the, the peaks you're reaching aren't even as high because it takes longer for you to build up to that level. You know, I kind of get what he's saying. I mean, I, fandom is is weird. I mean, it's not... I, I, I don't think it's pointless to... I mean, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I, I don't think rooting for the Cowboys is pointless, even though I haven't sniffed a Super Bowl <laughs> since I've been alive. But at the same time, you know, if you're an Arizona fan, it's it's sort of... Uh, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. What if Arizona competes for the Big 12 title next year? What if they win? What if they, what if they make it into the playoff? And then somebody else leaves and then all of a sudden Arizona is, is ripped to shreds again. I don't know. It's, I, I don't fully agree with what he was saying, but I, I, to some degree I understand. And I don't know what the solution is. I feel like we talked about this a lot in the last month of here are the problems with college football. I don't know what the solutions are, but that's, that's where I'm at. It's tough. It, it's, it's fair to the coaches fair to the players, I guess, but I, I don't know that it fully is. I don't know. There there's, there's a lot, like you said, every week we find something new. That's, that's either frustrating, confusing, or disappointing about the, the, the landscape of the sport.
0: I think there's probably a really big discussion to have about what is the solution to fix all this. And I do not have it. And I don't think, I don't think there is one. I, I, I think there's a lot of ideas. I think there's a lot of suggestion that if you just put it into do a, do it as a, professional model like the nfl james franklin thought he thought that there should be a a commissioner of college football which i agree with working with the nfl to to, because they have experience with this and, and and college football doesn't but i i also get the feeling in my gut when he says that that they're going to find things that that don't mix with with the nfl and, and and college football even though the two games are kind of melding more into a one's a one's a professional level and one's kind of a an almost that level of professional play you know let's say you bring in an nfl overseer or and, and to work with your conceivable college commissioner there's things happening that you can't foresee i mean nobody thought nick saban was going to go creating the the biggest job opening in the history of college sports and it decimated three rosters and it's decimating two other coaching staffs. Now it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's difficult. It, it, it's, it's a, it's a really tough situation because nothing you do is going to help Arizona. Nothing. You know, when you look at it as a fan, you kind of got to look at it as, Oh, that, that sucks, but it's not me. Well, someday it could be you. I, I'm not going to knock Manny Diaz. Penn state's really close to having the Duke staff. If James Franklin ever leaves, because those yeah. guys are going to go with James, and then I, I think that would be the best case scenario for for Penn State. You would get Manny Diaz, and he'd bring his guys. But yeah, you, now you have the Duke coaching staff, and I and I think there, there's enough people out there who would think that's a popular hire to bring in Manny Diaz. But like you said, it's a, it's a trickle down effect. It's it, it's a it's a very difficult scenario to to come up with a a solution to fix because I don't know if there, if there is one, there was too much change in college football too fast. It should have been, it should have been this way forever. Probably that that's the fair way to do it. And the, and the constitutional way to do it as it turns out, but it's, it's very difficult now to fix a, a problem that is going to be a problem. Your coaches are going to leave. They're going to have other jobs opening up. Those coaches leaving is going to open up the transfer portal for, for players. I mean, Alabama, it's 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 gonna be a local impact here in the Scranton area with, with with Alabama. You don't know if if CJ Dupree, the tight end from Lakeland, is gonna leave. John McNulty, uh the Abington Heights grad used to be the Rutgers offensive coordinator, the Boston College offensive coordinator. Uh was a Penn State analyst, played at Penn State. It's a very difficult situation all around when there's a lot of lives that uh get uprooted when one coach leaves. And you know, I get it, it's Nick Saban, and and, and that's gonna uproot even more uh and it's not every every year you're not going to have a Nick Saban going but one of these years it's going to get you it's going to bite your team and you know i think michigan's going to figure it out in a couple of weeks and some year it's it's it, you know it's it's going to happen to to penn state I, I, I don't know if it's soon i don't know if it's way down the line but it'll eventually happen we've been teasing this for weeks should we talk about aller yeah why not <laughs> <laughs> i don't and, and, and here's the the, the honest truth and, and I've gotten so many this a lot of people requesting after the Peach Bowl why don't you guys talk about Drew Aller and whether there should be a quarterback competition next year is he the right guy and the reason I haven't talked about it yet and the reason we haven't mentioned it is very simple because I don't want to I don't I don't think it's a rational discussion I, I just I just don't I, I don't think you look at his numbers I think he gets a lot of the blame for the offense not being what people thought it could be, but I don't know what I thought the offense could be if, if I thought it would be better than this with those receivers. I, I don't think he's to blame for the, for the way the receivers played. I don't think he's less in the offense, but I, whenever somebody looks at, at an offense and says the quarterback is, is not as good as, as we thought, the one question I always ask is why did you think he was going to be that good? And I thought Drew for a first year player played very well. Now, unless you look at Drew as if he's Johnny Unitas, which I think Penn State fans did because we saw it last year with, with Clifford. You know, Everybody wanted Clifford out and Drew in, and not just because, oh, we want to develop the kid, but because we think he's going to give us a better shot to win. And that was a, that's something I heard from a lot of fans. And when it turned out that that wasn't the case, I, I think fans started to turn on Drew. Do I think there should be a co- quarterback competition next year? Yes, because I think there should be one every year. Because who knows? Maybe Drew sandbags it in the in the off season, and Bo Perbula works hard, or Jackson Smolik works hard, or whoever the Grunkemeyer or whoever comes in and 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 is dynamite. And you don't know. You be, you don't want to hand the job to somebody who didn't win it outright. But as I sit here on the middle of January, three o'clock in the afternoon, as we're as we're recording this. Do I think Drew Aller is going to be the quarterback in September? Yes. I would bet my house on it.
1: Oh yeah, me too. I mean, I, I think you bring up a, a lot of things in that, in that response. I mean, for starters, I I think the expectations have been, I, I don't know how much of this is just cultural with, with social media and attention span and stuff like that. I don't know how much of it is, you know, stars in college, like Trevor Lawrence being great from the beginning and. It, you know, you look at the NFL and Tom Brady winning a thousand Super Bowls all of a sudden makes it Super Bowl or bust. And, you know, Nick Saban perhaps skews how you view head coaches. I don't, I don't know how much of it is a mixture of just witnessing greatness in our lifetimes and how much of it is cultural, how much of it is, you know, just with Penn State, just just frustration over over time sort of baked into the culture of the fan base at this point. Um, But something my my one of my roommates in college would say is we would look at number one quarter, number one quarterbacks in, in the NFL. And I'll, I'll wrap it back to college here in a second. But, you know, he said, everybody wants their number one pick to be like Joe Burrow, you know, come in and, and throw 300 yards a game. And if only he had people around him, you, you just know, right, right from the beginning, they're, they're going to save your franchise, but most number one picks aren't that it, it takes, it takes time. And it also may be that that your expectations are too high. If if you're if you get a a Baker Mayfield was number one pick. I, I think the the Bucks are happy winning a playoff game this 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 past week with with their number one pick. He, he he's a consistent starter that's worthy of of, of a starting quarterback. And, and and I think you have to apply some of the same reasonable expectations to a college quarterback. Drew is young. I, I don't think it was fair to sort of anoint him as a as a Heisman contender in his first year of starting, just because. Frankly, I, I think it's because of the recent successes of of somebody like Trevor Lawrence or C.J. Stroud or whoever it may be, who, you know, are are very rare. There's a reason I can I can name them as opposed to naming you know the disappointments across the country by by that metric. Most people are are not going to reach those levels, and it's just not fair to expect that of of people and at the same time i think that drew is just receiving a, a brunt of the frustration because you 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 see you see the uh the frustration mounting i think in the fan base ohio state was beatable this year they didn't win uh michigan has surpassed penn state that was something that was avoidable you know 4 years ago penn state was probably positioned better than michigan was and now all of, all of a sudden penn state is a clear number 3 as the big 10 is about to expand Yursich is gone so Yursich can't receive any of the of the uh, vitriol uh, dante cephas transferred out so you know you can't throw any more any more hate his way i you know you're you're losing the scapegoats i think and i think it sort of falls on Drew. i wrote something last year when i was defending sean that was you know something along the lines of and i can't believe how quickly it's been proven correct but i said you know, as soon as Drew Aller starts, the calls are going to start for for Bo and and Jackson Smolik, and here we are. Not only do I think people need to manage their expectations, I'll I'll agree with you. It, it, there should be a quarterback competition because there always should be. Nobody should ever feel complacent because you're never going to get better if if that's the case. Drew needs to improve, but everybody needs to improve. It's not because Drew is particularly bad. Bo needs to improve. Jackson Smolik needs to improve. Grunkemeyer needs to improve. It, it, everybody does. I I think that people need to manage their expectations at the same at the same time remember that that what what defines a successful quarterback isn't necessarily winning the Heisman isn't necessarily winning the national championship he can be on a on a good developmental path i mean you look at his touchdown to interception ratio i'm not saying that's everything there's not nothing I, I don't know i i think that there's building blocks there they just got an offensive coordinator that everybody in the building seems to really like i think it's a good hire you know you, you, you got to see it through
0: at the peach bowl we were on the sideline and i was watching drew warm up and i said if, if you don't think that's a first round talent i don't know what to to tell you the, the guy's making every throw on the money now there's no no pads on nobody rushing at you but he's got all the potential in the world i mean wh- whether he realizes it i i don't know who, whoever realizes every bit of potential he ever had i mean that's what made tom brady great it's what made joe montana great he, he, they realized every bit of potential they, they ever have, but he's got more potential than those guys did. And, and I, I get why Penn state fans will look at him and say, this guy is going to bail us out, but he's still just a kid. He's still just learning the position and potential is not polished. It, he's not a polished player yet. And I'll, and I'll concede that. And, and, and I keep coming back to it. Like how many fans told me last year, he's better than Clifford. In their mind, he was better than anybody else in the Big Ten, and now that you know, oh, he stinks too. And it's it's not just because he stinks; it's because James stinks, and it's because Urich can't develop quarterbacks, and they, they they can't develop any players. And and then you got you got big problems all around. When you were saying some things, one of the things I I, I thought about is how, how much I like how the Green Bay Packers develop quarterbacks, which is. Yeah, you know, and, and they've had what now three in the last thirty years. It, it's an it's an unbelievable number. Yeah. when when they drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round, nobody thought the Packers were going to draft a quarterback in the first round that year, and it angered Brett Favre. They draft Jordan Love, and it angered Rodgers. I think in college it's a little different, but sometimes the the, the benefit of that talented quarterback is to make the guy you have that knows exactly what he's doing better and sharpen them up and 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 I think that's why when I say there should be a quarterback competition there should always be a quarterback competition because you think that you think that Brett Favre wasn't threatened by Aaron Rodgers Right out of the right out of the shoot, I I I know he was, and 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 Jordan Love is talented. Do you think that didn't threaten Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years? And I think it made Sean better to have Drew around. I I really think that Drew made Sean a better player. I look at, at Drew as the Jordan Love for a year. Got all the skills, everybody knows it. But whatever you get from him, you get. And I I, I think I said it in the beginning of the year. If they were going to make the ch- the tournament, if they were going to be one of the four teams, Aller had to play out of his mind. Well, he didn't play out of his mind. That doesn't mean I thought he was going to play out of his mind. I thought he was going to play okay, and he did. He played better than okay. But as somebody who's heard a lot from the fans, I would like to say this. If you don't think that guy can get better and get a lot better and has every chance in the world to get better, then you're rooting for the wrong program. To to get that guy finally should be a reason for celebration. And then you're just going to rush him out the door. It, it makes no sense that you would lose faith in a guy that quickly. I, I, I don't get it. I, I think you're right. I, I think there's this now or never mentality there that, you know, you can get a high school kid who can make a big difference. I think it maybe dates back to Derek Williams uh, coming to Penn State, something like that. But I, I, I don't get the eagerness to, to rush him out the door and, and, and give Bo Perbula a shot. If you think Bo Prabula is as talented or as gifted as, as, as Aller is, I, 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 don't know what, I don't know what to tell you. Be patient. The, 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 the kid's going to be good. Well, Sam, we are running out of time, so maybe we'll, we'll jump in next week when we talk more about Drew Aller. Probably, I don't know. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna guarantee these guys anything anymore. For Sam Freeman, this is Donnie Collins. I promise I'll I'll I'll, I'll be more patient with the fans next week on the on the Penn State of Football podcast. In the Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and we'll be back. Soon.